You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. Diabetes has moved from being a disease of developed countries to a disease in developing countries. How are we addressing the global epidemic of diabetes? Joining us to discuss the epidemic of global diabetes is Chief Medical Officer and Vice President of Global Clinical Medical and Health Affairs for Medtronic Diabetes and Professor of Medicine at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles, California, Dr. Francine Kaufman. Dr. Kaufman, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. What is the prevalence of diabetes in developing countries? And specifically, let's talk about kids, you know, in India, Asia, for example. Sure. Well, just as we're seeing in the United States and in Western Europe and the developed world, where diabetes actually is now turning about, out to be, and of course we're talking about type 2 diabetes, is turning out to be a disease of lower socioeconomic status. Um, in the developing world, it's exactly the opposite. It's a disease now of those who have economic wherewithal. So a, a little bit of a reversal around the world as to who's getting diabetes, but the numbers are staggering. So somewhere about 285 million, if not more, people around the globe with diabetes, and of course the vast, vast, vast majority of that is type 2 diabetes, 7 million people extra a year. There's 31 million people in Europe and in India, um, China, um, there's close to 40 million people, Japan, 7 million people, Russia, 9 million. I mean, we just, you know, can keep adding up the millions. It's a struggle to imagine not how can we take care of them, but how can we stop this epidemic from continuing to increase. So I think there's been a real global focus on actually what some people are calling globesity um, for diabetes, which is the, you know, this, this obesity epidemic causing type 2 diabetes around the world, and in fact, affecting more and more children. Well, I know that, uh, you know, you wrote an excellent book entitled Dia Obesity, and specifically, it talked a lot about children with diabetes. Let's, let's focus in on the kids for a little bit. Tell us what's happening with the incidence in young children with type 2. Well, most type 2 doesn't really start to occur until a child's getting ready or going through puberty. But in places like Japan, the first country to actually acknowledge that they have more children and youth with type 2 diabetes than they actually have with type 1 diabetes. It's not going to be the same in Western Europe and the United States where we know type 2 diabetes still remains to be rather uncommon even in adolescent and older teenagers. But in Mexico where there's a, obviously Mexican-American, Hispanics, uh, Native Americans, uh, Aboriginal people, Indians and Asians, their incidence of type 1 diabetes is much less, so we are seeing more and more children actually developing type 2 diabetes. Now, we know there's a lot of genetic tendencies going on with type 2 in, in some of these ethnic groups. What are some of the cultural influences surrounding this growing epidemic? Well, the, 
genetic predisposition is much more, as, as you suggested, that people of color, people non-derived from Europe, um, have a much higher gene prevalence for uh, probably a variety of genes that put you at risk for type 2 diabetes. But what we're seeing in China and Japan, the very cherished young child is fed whatever they would like, is overfed by now grandparents and extended family members and parents. Imagine your grandparents were starving. Imagine your parents didn't have, you know, whatever they wanted whenever they wanted. Now they can give that to their child or to their, to their grandchild. And, you know, they feel very fortunate to be able to do it. They feel that this child deserves it. And the child gets McDonald's, gets sodas, gets candy pretty much whenever they want, and they're becoming obese. And especially, you know, in China where you're not allowed to have that many kids, and so you have one and, and, you, and you really protect it so much to a disadvantage. If you had to give a global recommendation for, uh, I'd say, identifying these young kids and early treatment, what would they be? The first thing is, obviously, all the risk starts in pregnancy. So we know that a child born to a pregnancy that is complicated by diabetes is likely going to be more overweight and at greater risk for type 2 diabetes as well. So we need to help mothers maintain normal weight gain, have optimal weight before they become pregnant, and to do whatever through lifestyle can occur to prevent gestational diabetes. Then once a child's born, we know breastfeeding is a huge protector of diabetes and of excessive weight gain. So encouraging nursing globally and actually to nurse as much as can be exclusive to six months of age appears to be also important. Then the introduction of solid food to children, to not overfeed them, to let them self-regulate. And it's very difficult, I think, for most of us. You see, you know, a young child, you put them in the high chair and you want to give them this huge quantity of food. Matter of fact, almost as much as you would eat yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's way too much food. So you've got to let them self-regulate. If they don't want to eat, they don't have to. Sometimes, you know, when they're two and three, they eat one day very little. The next day they'll compensate a little bit more. But don't go around chasing them with food all day long. Then, of course, we have to have schools and communities that allow for physical activity and that have optimal food choices for, you know, particular our children in school. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Stephen Edelman. I'm speaking with Dr. Francine Kaufman. We are discussing the epidemic of global diabetes. Well, you've, you've talked a little bit about how to approach and prevent these things quite early. What are some of the countries doing? What are some of the novel approaches? From the pediatric standpoint, there's an increasing awareness about type 2 diabetes. And again, Singapore, I mean, places all over the world working with schools, working with communities to try to do as much prevention as is possible. But then it gets down to, well, how do we treat the 10, 12, 15-year-old who develops type 2 diabetes? And we have actually seen very little primary data Mm -hmm. that's either from the U.S. and other developed uh, countries or from the developing world. So there's a huge study going on now in the United States called the Today Trial, looking at treatment options for type 2 diabetes in adolescents and youth, trying to, you know, determine do we need to be aggressive up front. Um, there appears to be a higher insulin requirement in most of these children and higher glucose values, a more rapid onset of type 2 diabetes, which you could kind of imagine that there's something fundamentally different 
about the 10-year-old who's developing type 2 versus the 50-year-old. Mm-hmm. So, you know, are they more insulin resistant? Are they more insulin deficient? Um, what's the evaluation that should occur to be sure that they have type 2 versus type 1 diabetes because there's good data that about 10%, if not a little bit more, of those phenotypic children who appear to have type 2 may actually have autoimmunity and probably think that those children require insulin and should you know, perhaps be treated with oral agents as well, but probably need insulin. So that evaluation is important. And then going forward, if they do need insulin because they come in with such a high glucose initially, can we wean them? Should we wean them to metformin alone? Should we look at other agents? What's the contribution of, you know, really an involved extensive lifestyle intervention? And these are hopefully the questions that will be answered through this Today trial, as well as a lot of the, you know, industry partners looking to look at their own individual agent in the adolescent and young adult population to find out, you know, are the safety and efficacy profiles the same in, in youth as they are in adults. I know some areas of the world, you can't even get insulin or glucose testing. What's going on in that area? Well, I think there's, um, you know, certainly a greater focus about children. I mean, you know, we think that children die without the diagnosis of diabetes being made in the developing world, um, obviously, way too often. Then they die whether they have type 1 diabetes or type 2 diabetes because there's just a lack of uh, available agents, and particularly for children. Um, so there are um, groups that have worked very hard, the IDF through Life for a Child and the uh, group called Insulin for Life, trying to assure, um, you know, as a really proximal goal and a global goal that no child should die because the diagnosis has been missed or because they don't have available insulin to treat them. So uh, both of those are identifying in you know, disparate parts of the developing world, so from Nepal to um, Haiti to, you know, to areas in uh, sub-Saharan Africa to, you know, parts of Indonesia, all over the globe, um, care providers and uh, centers in which supplies can be sent, education can be done, tracking can be assured so that these children as they're being diagnosed can, can be cared for and maintained on therapy um, so that they survive. If some, one of the listeners wanted to help out, where, where could they go? Is there a website? So, so you could go for Insulin for Life. So I, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure I can remember the website, but I think it's insulin, you know, www.insulinforlife.org or just Google it, um, as well as the IDF website. Um, and you can go on to Life for a Child. And it talks about um, you know, sending donations as well money as well as supplies to, uh, to these organizations to be able to meet the needs of these children around the globe. The goal is, you know, uh, that right now they're covering about 2,000, maybe more children, but there's probably, you know, tens of thousands of children who need these kind of uh, uh, support. And can we, as a diabetes community, you know, match it? So there's been a great interest now in the, by the insulin companies, Eli Lilly, as well as Nova Nordisk and Sanofi, to help, you know, give these supplies and uh, to assure that, you know, we can keep these children alive. Thanks, Francine. All you listeners, just put in Life for a Child uh, and uh, in Google. I'd like to thank our guest, Chief Medical Officer and Vice President of Global 
Clinical, Medical, and Health Affairs for Medtronic Diabetes and Professor of Medicine at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles, California, Dr. Francine Kaufman. Dr. Kaufman, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. Daddy, what are you reading? I'm reading about something called GLP-1. Is it a robot? No. (laughs) GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism. Its multiple actions are critical to glucose control. Huh? Okay. Well, GLP-1 works in a glucose-dependent manner. It stimulates the beta cells in your pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibit the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. It also helps regulate food ingestion by slowing gastric emptying in your stomach here (laughs) and making you feel full. Like at Thanksgiving? Yes. Um, I don't get it. Is it important? Well, GLP-1 is important because it impacts the multiple systems affected by diabetes. It also plays a significant role in protecting beta cells, a key to slowing diabetes progression. Unfortunately, many people with type 2 diabetes have impaired GLP-1 secretion and impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. Like Grandpa? Yes. And like many of my type 2 diabetes patients. That's why I want to make sure I'm looking at the whole picture in diabetes. Sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. It's important to look at weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction. Impaired GLP-1 physiology is also a part of the problem, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. So, the GLP-1 robot will help you see the whole picture. (laughs) Yes, I guess, in a way, it will. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about GLP-1 and the role it plays in diabetes, please visit novomedlink.com slash DIA.